This Developer's Life is brought to you by Code Rush for Visual Studio. We appreciate their support. With Consume First Declaration, powerful templates, smart selection tools, intelligent code analysis, innovative navigation, and an unrivaled collection of visual refactorings all working together, your development productivity will increase dramatically. Get Code Rush. We'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash coderush. This is Glenn Cooper from Sublime SVN, and we're super excited to help sponsor this developer's life. We love the show and are proud to be a part of the community. Check us out at sublimesvn.com. I play Angry Birds, and I've had my Angry Birds obsession. But seriously, three stars on every level? I mean, I like marching through the 185,000 Angry Birds levels as much as the next guy, but I don't know my score. I like Xbox, but I don't know my achievements. I like Stack Overflow, but I don't know my points. I know how tall I am. I know how fat I am. But that's as far as I go. Numbers like that, scores aren't my thing. I'm, I'm not competitive like that. Obviously, I keep an eye on the numbers. The current um, number that I'm keeping an eye on is my number of silver badges. I think I'm at 954, something like that at the moment. So obviously, I'm trying to get that to 1,000. So in 47 more badges time, I will expand the number of digits in my flare. And that's always slightly exciting. I like to surf. And it's a wonderful zen-like sport. Sit in the water, catch some waves. And out here where I live in Hawaii, there are the best waves in the world. And there's a spot right down the street from me that is one of the best waves in the entire world. Will I surf there? Not very often. Not much aloha in this lineup. Whenever I get into something, I get very intense about it and do it all the time. And almost to a, well, definitely to a detriment with poker. I, was, I definitely played a lot. <laughs> I don't necessarily like the person I become if I play too much poker. Of course I'm right, I'm John Skeet. I'm just not wired that way. I slept that whole next day. <laughs> I was physically hurt. Some people just want a set of rules. They want to know the numbers, and then they want to pound you right into the ground. That's what we look at this week. Episode 13 of This Developer's Life, Competition. Anything it touches, ram it. I'm becoming less defined as days go by. Fading away, well, you might say I'm losing focus. Kind of drifting into the abstract. Arguably, we're all competitive. We all want recognition of some kind. A raise, a promotion, a pat on the back for delivering an application on time. We sharpen the saw, we study up, we read books, practice, we watch videos. We compete against ourselves. But for others, it's not so easy. They need to compete against you, and they need to win. Believe it or not, there is a competition for coders. It's called Top Coder. As you might have guessed, it's the top gun for geeks. So Top Coder is a competitive website where programmers of all ages compete for money and for, I guess, pride rankings. It's kind of like any other sporting site, but just programming instead. 
This is David Fowler, a developer at Microsoft. There are different kinds of contests. There's um, algorithm contests, contests for designing software, and you know you you compete against a bunch of people online, and you have handles um, that are also usernames, and um, you compete and you can win money if you are good enough. So there's division one and two. So, I mean, mostly I think I've done algorithm competitions, and they're they're kind of quick quick problems that that you have to solve. And there are different divisions. There are division two and division one. And there are three problems in each in each division. 250, 500, 1,000. And the way it works is you have a bunch of time in the contest, right? And from the time you open the problem, the score ticks down. So so the max you can get for, for 250 is, is 50 points. And then every second you, you waste, like, trying to figure the problem out, your score is going down. So you have to solve problems quickly and accurately to get the most points. I like writing code just like any geek, but you put a timer on me and a bunch of other geeks in the room that are staring me down. I don't know. I just don't think I could do that. It's good to challenge yourself mentally, but if you want to be brought down to earth, like do a top, do a bunch of top Twitter problems, because you may think you're a great programmer, right? But it's a different mindset. It's it's not like coding, you know, SQL or, or you know, coding like an application where you have time to think. You kind of have to train yourself for these contests. So you have to practice questions and, and just, you know, answer questions and, you know, no algorithms off the top of your head. You have to figure out how to identify, you know, based on the problem's constraints, if you can like, use brute force or if you have to use, you know, a specific algorithm technique or... Some people take it pretty seriously. Like, there is also the ACM competitions at school. So when I joined school my first my first year, um, I went with some friends to, to the ACM contest. And the top three from our school contest get to go to the, the regional and it was me and two other guys my friend from from romania and one from italy and we competed and it was it was kind of weird because you know we were all used to programming in like video studio windows and c plus and in the contest the first thing we had was like linux and we were like totally lost and we still managed to solve two two out of seven problems and it was pretty bad but it was our first year so we didn't really care but it was it was pretty fun because it was a, a new environment you know people sitting in a room together trying to solve problems you know and then so you get about nine problems i think and you have to figure out what strategy you're going to use to solve them because there's one computer three people and nine problems normally you'd have people you know you split the questions equally and you read them and then the easiest one you let someone do it first on the computer and then while that person is figuring out one question one other person is trying to solve one on paper so when once finished they can you know move on quickly and and switch and such and you get balloons when you solve questions so what happens is um you look around the room and you see a bunch of balloons of one color there's one color per problem and you end up seeing you know this this problem is pretty it's probably the easiest one because there's a bunch around me right so you try to figure out which ones are the easiest ones to solve i don't think speed matters in the real world like so much as it does in these situations i mean you know, doing interviews on Microsoft or any other tech company is kind of like doing these these coding questions because you're you're constrained and, and, and you're in this you know room where you're nervous and people are kind of staring at you and you have to solve the problem on the spot. It's kind of the same way, right? You 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 enter a competition, you open a problem, and you feel that you have to just figure it out on the spot. A lot of times, the code in these contests end up being pretty nasty because they don't care about coding standards, right? You know, I mean, like there's macros. I've seen people take like a bunch of prime numbers into an array and copy and paste like a, a big array into the top of a function just for speed right 
but you hard code a bunch of parameters and like you you never need past a thousand so they have a list that, that they like copy and paste around you know for every problem on top curve is pretty interesting because there's a round of, of solving problems i think it's an hour an hour long and then after that you get to challenge people's code and what that means is there may have been a problem that was pretty tricky and you have some inputs that, that, that you think people didn't handle correctly. So you can actually open their code, right? Enter test cases that you think will break their code. And then if, if you, if they, if they failed, if your test case failed on their code, you get 50 points and they get zero points for that question. Because you're like, oh, this, this question is kind of tricky, but you know, there are these like two edge cases. So you mark it down. And then in the challenge phase, you can like just build cheap points because people forgot to you know, cover those edge cases. Answering questions, just trying to get points on Stack Overflow now. It's kind of similar in that you, you want to be a badass because you want reputation. You aren't constrained in the same way, right? You could you could, you could answer a question you know nothing about by Googling for something and then answering it, right? As opposed to top coder, like, it's a lot harder because of the constraints. I remember one time at school, my last year, we went to, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, we went to Disneyland. <laughs> At Disney World, at Disney World in Orlando. And we went there not to go to the park, but to watch the top quarter open final. Be the, the nerdiest thing I've ever done in my life. But it was fun. It was fun. I mean, I can't admit it wasn't fun. It was fun. So why does he compete writing these algorithms? The, the part where he said he just copy and pastes an array of primes. I mean, that, that's kind of intense. Well, it's intense, but it's intensely brilliant, right? He he, he knows that this is not a test of writing uh, the tightest code or making the computer work as hard as possible. This is a test of correctness. It's as much about math and algorithms and how the the world works and how the laws of physics fit together. It's less about coding as it is about raw brain power and uh, copy-pasting an array of primes is not the hardest part of this competition. Well, the part where he was talking about... Um being able to torpedo someone else's code by writing a test where he, you know, he says, you're wrong, and here's a test to prove it. I love that part. It's almost like Tron, except way, way more boring. <laughs> I mean, if, if someone were going to do Tron, it would not be light cycles. It would be a guy writing a unit test to break another guy's code, and then they'd be like, boo, boo, boo. It'd be like sound effects. When he describes going to Disney World to watch Top Coder, the, the championship, uh, that just melted me. I thought that was that was one of the geekiest things I think I've ever heard. That's what he does. It's like going out with your friends, your Top Guns, you go to the bar and you hang out, except the geek go to Disney World and watch other geeks. Test, test. Uh, I can move it. Is that any better? So who's this? Uh, who's this? We're in the background. We're listening to now. All right. Well, this, uh, this is Aaron Jensen. He's okay. a well-known uh, .NET developer, a Ruby developer, um, just an all-around great developer, and he was really active in the uh, .NET uh, space and the alt.NET movement, and he decided one day that he wanted to see what it would be like to be a professional poker player. I think that the first time I ever played Hold'em, so not counting like five-card draw when you don't really need to know how to play poker, was in Havasu, and we were there camping, and one of my buddies was like, hey, check this out, like, let's play some poker, and we hopped in the back of his truck, in the bed of his truck, and he got out a deck of cards. And I don't remember what we used for chips at the time. It might have been like pretzels or something. 
And uh, he taught us the rules for Hold'em, you know, showed us what the flop was and the turn and the river. And it was kind of confusing at, at first, you know, getting dealt two cards and, and having to play with the community cards. But I, I quickly kind of got it. And, and so we played that for a couple hours and drank and traded pretzels and whatever. And it, it just kind of escalated from there. Uh, so I went out and got books, you know, Sklansky's Super System and Theory of Poker and Hold'em for Advanced Players and all the all the kind of classics. And uh, I started reading those and started playing online and just kind of escalated. To a highly competitive person, finding a good game, well, it's like finding a good drug. All that's left is to know the rules and know them cold, get the numbers down, let's do this thing. I started to realize, hey, you know, this provides me some interesting challenges over and over again. And each challenge is completely different. So each situation is is different. There's all these variables that I have to that I have to take into account. And I've, I've got a fairly simple set of reactions that I can make based on those variables, but but they're very drastically different in their in their effect. So so the, the decisions you make are, are very important. You don't have a ton of time to make them. And it, it's, just, it's just really, really challenging. So I think that aspect of it kind of uh, set off a light for me. And, and whenever something does that, I'll go out and I'll, I'll go crazy and go get, you know, I think probably I've read, I've read probably 15 to 20 poker books at least halfway through. And, uh, and, and it, I'll, I'll, the first time I buy books, it'll be like five books at once. And I, I did that with poker, and, and I, I think that's, it's just the challenge that interested me. It is deceptively simple. I mean, it's 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 one of those things you hear people say. Uh, let's see, what is it like? Uh, a few minutes to learn and a lifetime to master. Like I said, the rules are very simple, but but the 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 depth, you know, the the different people that you play against. I mean, first of all, in blackjack, you're playing against a robot that does the exact same thing every time. So there's no there's no variable there. The cards differ, yeah, and in poker the cards differ, but your opponents also differ, and the the stakes differ, and the the amount of money that each player has in front of them differs, and the size of the pot differs with respect to your stack, and the actual situations differ drastically. I mean, you could be looking at two pair, and you know that he's got a flush draw, but he probably also has a strong pair and I mean it, that's that's a different situation than if you just had a flush draw and he's going to react differently in that situation and you have to you have to adjust for that so I, I think that to someone who's a casual player yeah you get cards you either get a big hand or you don't you win money when you do and you lose money when you don't and it, it it's very very simple but to someone who is kind of trained to see the nuances they see them and not only that but they can exploit those to create an edge in blackjack the only real way to create an edge is if you count and you get a very very slight edge in poker those edges are much more drastic against players that you are better than so that's what makes it more interesting 
programmers, for the most part, are very analytical and can kind of understand lots of different variables and 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 solve that solve that problem. And I think that that their particular way of thinking is is beneficial in in poker. For me, at least, I think that the way I think when I program and the way I think when I play poker, uh, they're pretty similar. I'm definitely competitive in 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 poker and that sort of thing, but I don't I don't consider myself to be competitive in programming. So I, I, I kind of have two different lives there and two different personalities depending on what I'm doing. When you play online, you're playing. You know, I, I would play in the beginning. I'd play one, maybe two tables at once. Uh, later on, I'd be playing eight to ten tables at once. And so each online table, you're playing about twice as many hands as you are in live poker. So if you're playing 10 tables at once, you're playing 20 times the hands that a person playing live poker can play. So internet poker players can, can get a lot more experience a lot quicker than a, a live game player and, and they get exposure to lots of, lots of different scenarios. Uh, of course, none of the physical aspects, but there are tells online. And so it's just practice. Whenever I get into something, I get very intense about it and do it all the time and almost to a, well, definitely to a detriment with poker. I, was, I definitely played a lot. <laughs> Quite a while ago, I, I more or less left the scene and and uh, then I started back up again briefly about mm, six or six months ago or so when I got onto a, a TV show and so I, I decided I wanted to make sure I still remembered how to play if I was going to go up against Daniel Negreanu and Vanessa Russo on national television. So I practiced some and then did the show and played a little bit more afterwards, but uh, I, I kind of fell out of it again. I don't, I don't necessarily like the person I become if I play too much poker. Very emotionally draining game. Uh, it's it's probably the most draining thing I've ever done, and playing it for long periods of time is it, it, it's it's physically tiring, it's emotionally tiring, and it it, it can start to affect the rest of your life. And it, I, at least for me, I mean, I, other people can separate it well. I did a pretty good job of separating it, but after a while, it just kind of eats at you, and I I'd play it too much, or or it would kind of a bad session, a couple bad sessions in a row might ruin a day, and in the end it just wasn't, isn't worth it. Programming generally doesn't have the effect of winning or losing tens of thousands of dollars and, and, or, or more, and, and uh, you know, those this, you know, sort of emotional swings that come along with that. It's not as fairy tale as it sounds like. Um, there's, there's, there's very few players that it, it actually is. I mean, most of the pros that you know about have been broke at one time or another. And uh, those are my friends that, that played professionally for a long time. It was, I mean, they worked harder than I did. And it's just playing poker day in, day out. Generally speaking, in the long run, your, uh, your skill will shine through. Uh, there are short run especially up spikes. I mean, you win the World Series of Poker. I don't care if you played every World Series of Poker. If you win one of them, you got lucky. And 
because there's such a big field and in order for you to to get there i mean sure you have an edge on everybody but but straight up you got lucky uh, but for regular cash game players and smaller tournament players where they have enough of a bankroll to play thousands of the tournaments at the same level or you know tens or hundreds of thousands of hands at the same level that'll even out and then and then the luck kind of disappears and and you you do start to see this this even uh this even curve or 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 line of of revenue one way or the other luck runs out and like i said you play tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of hands and and you could be the luckiest person in the world and if you're a terrible poker player you'll go broke So Aaron likes the shifting variables. And I think it's safe to say the guy, well, he attacked something that seemed to scratch whatever itch he had. Yep, 20 poker books. He just didn't learn poker. He grokked poker. He drank it in until it became a part of himself. He got so good at it, he started to make money. So it's back to the question we started the show with. What is this from? Um, Is this a way for these guys to prove themselves? And you know what's interesting? If you talk to developers long enough about reputation and competition, uh, there's one thing that they all bring up. In fact, I think Aaron even brought it up. Uh, in fact, all of our guests today brought it up. Stuck, stuck, overflow, overflow, overflow. Yep, and there is one guy who is, by a massive margin, the king of Stack Overflow. Of course I'm right, I'm John Skeet. Just saying that makes me feel dirty. <laughs> that quote's funny. I, You know, I know John's going to... John's probably not going to be happy that I keep playing that quote, but it's just wonderful because he is one of the nicest guys uh, you could talk to. But, you know, you said something to me the other day, and I think it was uh, after your interview with Aaron, and you said, have you ever talked to somebody that's so smart you just, I think you said shrink. By the way, I want to make that John Skeet my ringtone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aaron is 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 one of those guys that is so smart. He, he does make you, uh, well, you know, one of the thing, great things about being in the community is that uh, it reminds you that you're not the smartest guy in the room. And and both Aaron and John are so smart, but they're also nice guys. They're comfortable with it. They're, they're not obnoxious, but they are okay being that smart. And they just know it. Skeet's the same way. And uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to hit you over the head with what he knows, despite the little sound clip I'm playing. He was being facetious. I want to make sure that's clear. I mean, he really just really wants to help you out. So we started out talking about the idea of helping people and, uh, turned into a discussion about a previous job I had as a lifeguard in college. So I asked John, are you a C-sharp lifeguard? So the great thing about Stack Overflow is you said you saved four people in 12 years. In Stack Overflow, people post when they've got a problem. I get to help those people all the time. It's fabulous. There is such a high just from someone posting and you know maybe they've been at a problem for two days or something. And you can solve it like that because not because you're the smartest guy in the world, but because you've been there before. You've seen exactly that problem. In some cases, you know, you know that if there's something saying double arithmetic isn't working properly, it's yep, you don't understand floating point arithmetic. You probably want to use decimal instead. Everyone's been there. We've all made the same mistakes. I can help you avoid that problem again. So I get to help people all the time. And that's why I love Stack Overflow so much. 
Now, if you don't know what Stack Overflow is, it's a question and answer site where you can go and answer programming questions or ask one if you have one. And when you answer one successfully, then you get some reputation score. And uh, well, it's kind of like a competition for coders to see who knows what. Well, John is blowing away all other users by, oh, by a healthy margin. He has 268,000 points and next closest user has only 199,000 points. And that's Mark Gravel. It's a healthy margin, but there are some people who uh, quite often do better than me on a weekly or monthly basis. So um, actually, it was one of my suggestions a very, very long time ago um, that got implemented probably about a year ago, something like that, that because if you came new to Stack Overflow now, you might see my score or even, you know, other 100k plus scores and think there's no way I can compete with them. I can't get known. I can't do anything. So we also have uh, weekly, monthly and quarterly leagues, uh, which show how much reputation you've gained in a week. You know, I think it's Sunday to Saturday or over a calendar month or over a calendar quarter. So I can see that every week there is someone who is beating me almost every week um, and has been for the last six months or so. Um, so Last year, it tended to be a guy called Nick Craver. And fortunately, he's now been hired by Stack Overflow. He's busier. He doesn't have as much time. Um, so I don't need to worry about him as much. He was gaining really quite quickly. And now there's a guy, I'm just looking it up, a guy called Darren Dimitrov, or Dimitrov. Apologies, Darren, if I'm completely mispronouncing your name, um, who is also creeping ahead on a weekly or monthly basis. But I know I've got quite a long way for them to catch up here. Darren's one of the top users, certainly, but he's 120,000 behind. So if he gains, say, 2,000 a month on me, which is quite a, quite a lot, then I've got five years to sort of get back into my stride. Uh, so overall, I'm, I'm not too afraid of, the, uh, of losing the total number one spot. But I, I try to keep an eye on things and you see some people occasionally um, making huge efforts and you can see some really immense scores on a per day basis. It's interesting, there isn't a, a one day league, so you can't see how well you're doing today compared with everybody else, which I think would be quite useful. I might suggest that to Jeff as a feature request at some point. I tend to see on a Monday morning, you can see the week so far, which means what happened on Sunday. And then I will often be, you know, number 10, something like that, because people have really good days. You know, the chance on any one day of me being top is very, very slim um, because someone will have said, right, I'm going to have hours and they'll get a bounty of 500. I almost never get bounties. Um, so on the first day, there'll almost always be plenty of people ahead of me, but I'm kind of slow and steady, if you see what I mean. I gradually tend to get to number two or number three. Um, sometimes I'll have a, a really good week or a really good few days. Um, you know, it's rare that I get 500 on a day, um, but if I get 500 for a couple of days, which I did in July or August, I think, I can't remember whether Nick was on holiday and I thought this is a chance to catch up. I've got a chance to really get ahead, at least for the week. You know, I can have one week where I'm beating Nick, hurrah. Um, and I think I might've done. Um, and I had two or three days where I got over 500 in the week, 
which is almost unheard of for me. Um, so I think competition's really healthy. And the fact is, Nick and I very rarely see each other on Stack Overflow because we tend to answer different questions. So he's answered four and a half thousand jQuery questions. I suspect I haven't answered any, or at least not knowingly thinking that they're jQuery. He's answered 2000 JavaScript. I'm almost all C-sharp and Java, basically. I tend to answer questions that haven't got any other good answers because otherwise I'm wasting my time. If someone else has already answered a question well, then it's not that I won't get rep for an answer, but it's providing something that someone else has already done. And the, the important thing on Stack Overflow is to get answers to people and disseminate information. Yeah, I'm not gonna claim I'm some hugely um, altruistic person who doesn't care at all about rep, but obviously I do, yeah, it's a game. Um, but at the same time, that's not the main point of it. And I would rather post an unpopular answer um, that might make people think of it than go for something that's that I know would get loads of votes, whatever, but not actually do the world any good. I mean, I guess the the only evidence I have for this is that I, I used to post a lot on news groups where there wasn't any reputation. On Stack Overflow, knowledge is king. The more you know about different subjects, well, the more questions you can answer and the more reputation you get. So I asked John if he was ever tempted to do something like Aaron's strategy. You can kill two birds with one stone. You can go get a book about jQuery, answer some jQuery questions, put the hammer down on his competition. Oh, no, no, no. Um, I have never, I've definitely looked up things. I've done some research um, on the grounds that then I can answer a question on Stack Overflow. Definitely. But only if it's something that's interested me and it's there and then. I've never researched something in advance thinking, hey, this would be a popular topic. And I guess if you wanted a really good strategy, you would use the Data Explorer and find some tag that there are loads of questions and very few answers. Um, so interestingly, the jQuery tag where Nick Craver um, certainly was posting a lot and is you know, still very active, um, tends not to get as many answers and not as many votes. But um, after, after you reach 200, the rep cap, for the day, um, it's all about accepted answers. You don't care whether or not you get any votes, you just want accepted answers. So in a way, Nick's doing well with jQuery where there are relatively few answers per question because not as many people have the knowledge, I guess. There are obviously fewer questions than for say C-sharp. Yeah. C-sharp, huge number of questions posted, often many answers per question, and because lots of people are looking at the C-sharp questions, you'll get lots of votes on them as well, which is great if you're interested in votes. You could think of the nemesis for any particular question is the other person who's looking at it right now and knows the answer. Uh, because for, for better or worse, Stack Overflow is largely time-based. If, if I see that someone else has written a good answer already, I won't bother answering. If someone else sees that I've already given an answer that they think is okay, then they will may well not bother answering that one. So largely getting in first really does make a difference. Being able to type fast is really handy. Um, 
knowing that if you just do a search of MSDN and the name of a class, you're likely to get a link quickly is handy. You know, the strategy of write a basic answer that says you know, it's failing because you've done this wrong, sample code coming, post it, edit it, put your sample code in, fix up all the links, etc. That kind of strategy, I guess, maybe is what you were thinking of before. It's really about speed. So whoever happens to be looking at C-sharp questions or Java questions at the same time might be my temporary nemesis. There's no one in particular, as I say, Mark Ravel often posts at the same time as me in the morning, um, but quite often we'll have a banter between two answers. So just this morning, we both answered on some link question and given sort of different sides of the same answer. And then both of us updated our answers to include some of what the other guy was saying, but with a bit more detail as well. And everyone benefits, really. You get, um, even, even if you've got the same ideas expressed twice, just expressing the same thing in different ways can help different people get it. Um, one of the nastiest things to try to explain I don't know whether you've ever tried to do this, is try to explain the difference between a reference type and a value type without, to someone who really hasn't a clue at the moment. You know, you've got no common points of reference and the word reference is overloaded because there's pass by reference and a reference and a reference type and ah. And I don't think that any one person's explanation is universally good enough. Okay, I've tried to explain it probably hundreds of times. I've found metaphors that I particularly like. So it's really good to have the same ideas expressed by different people in different ways, especially if those people then comment on each other's answers in a friendly and constructive way and think of extra bits along the lines of the other guy's answer, saying, ah, but have you thought of this bit? It's fabulous. Um, so the competition on Stack Overflow is generally, and you know, there are exceptions where things get a bit nasty, but um, it's generally incredibly constructive. And I, I don't know exactly what the magic source is. I don't think it's just reputation. It's not just badges. It's not just that the editor's really good. They've got a magic mix of getting all of the important bits right. Enough of the important details are just really nicely done, that it fosters this culture of friendly competition. And it is, by and large, incredibly friendly. People get a bit het up on Meta, Meta Stack Overflow, but that's part of the point of Meta Stack Overflow. Um, you know, and a lot of the insults traded there are not really meant seriously anyway. Um, so people can be incredibly rude, and that's fine because it's on Meta, and so long as everyone knows that everyone's just joking, then that's fine. But in general, compared with almost any other internet community I've seen, Stack Overflow is insanely positive. Uh, John has nothing but respect for the people that he is competing against Stack Overflow. He's got nothing but love for the site and its rules. Make no mistake, he may be a really good sport. He really, really, really wants to win. This morning, I think I was on the bus or possibly on the train when this happened. So I was on a 3G network and you have no idea how frustrating it is when you hit post and the network dies. And this happens several times a day um, when I'm on the train, either on the way to work or from work. The 3G network can be pretty flaky. You've got an edit and it's spinning and you think, well, quite often that edit gets there and then it takes a long time to refresh the page afterwards. So you start up another tab 
and try to find out whether that edit's made it. So there's the whole network as an enemy in itself. If you're on a slow, slow connection, you start whatever queries you think you'll need in other tabs, then start writing something, um, expand the appropriate bit of browser so that you can get the code from the question, format that as quickly as you can, and really try to get an answer that will get to the heart of it, but maybe not have all the details that you want as quickly as you can. And as soon as you've hit post and you can see one answer and it's yours, you know that you've got the oldest answer. Whatever else happens, even if you edit it or whatever, however much you edit it, you've got it then. Now that doesn't mean in any way, shape or form that you're going to, uh, let's say, win the question, you know, get the accepted answer, get the most votes, whatever you want to think of as winning at the time. I will be absolutely drawn like a moth to a flame by any C-sharp question that is genuinely about the language. So it's not saying, what does this method do? You know, why isn't my HTTP web request coming back to me, whatever, but something that's genuinely about the language um, and I don't know the answer. That will get me every single time. But if it's something that's stumping me about C-sharp, then unless Eric Lippert or Jared Parsons or someone like that, you know, someone from Microsoft, um, unless one of them is looking at it at the same time, chances are it's going to be stumping other people as well. And that's a real buzz. Um, I've just realized it is incredibly sad to say I get a real buzz from reading the C-sharp spec. I, mean, I, I was under no illusion that I was a cool kid, but that is the epitome of sadness, surely. I have huge amounts of respect for the compiler guys. They are they do an outstanding job. So it's really rare that you find a bug. One time it was, you know, if you put the, the compiler into C-sharp one mode, it doesn't always catch everything that you can't do in C-sharp one. And that's fair enough, yeah, that's that's not the point of it. So I don't think that really counts as a bug, but it was a surprise. Um, another time I came up with something particularly weird with overload resolution using a generic method and a params array where we weren't passing any arguments. So it was going to end up with an empty params array. And that didn't do quite the right thing in terms of um, overload resolution. So this is incredibly obscure. Um, and I knew that the same thing worked, you know, it worked properly using an optional parameter instead. And that's how I'd happened to solve this particular puzzle before. Um, but someone in the audience had suggested using a params array. And you, you're standing there on stage saying, I'm sure this should work. And it's it's just a really bizarre feeling. Wow, he's found compiler bugs. He's John Skeet. It's not human. Yeah. Okay, well, it makes sense. Uh, that answer is two things at once, right? He likes a validation that he knows something, even that the very experts who wrote the language don't know. You know, it's like a triple word bonus, right? Like in Scrabble. Uh, you know, you know this, and you put it in the right place, you get the triple bonus. He loves helping others, but when he gets a chance to help them and the people he really admires, it's a drug to him. Yeah, and it goes back to, um, you know, when you're a kid, right, with your dad or your big brother, right, scruffed up your hair, pat you on the back, and genuinely says, thanks, you know, that was a really good job. And you get a, a glow, I mean, it feels really good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on top of everything, you get the approval. And, you know, honestly, I don't care who you are, whether you're the president or you're John Skeet, Approval is good stuff, especially when it comes from the top. I wonder if he's ever been stumped. Did you ask him that? You, you know you know what? I didn't, and it might be kind of hard to understand why, but 
pretty much John won't give up. I mean, we're talking about programming here. We're not necessarily talking about um, you know, magic or voodoo. But it did bring up another subject, really. What happens when he's not necessarily stumped by the question, but what if he's stumped by the mechanics or the rules? You know, you get frustrated because maybe someone says or does something, or maybe the site behaves in a weird way. We got into the discussion about the dark side of Stack Overflow. Oh, it can get incredibly annoying if you know that, particularly if, if someone has come to a question. So the, the question themselves has said, why do people say that Java doesn't use pass by reference when it clearly does? And here's an example. And you write a really as clear as you possibly can explanation of no, it's passing by value, but the expression you're passing is a reference. And you go through all kinds of examples, but someone else um, is under the same misapprehension that the first guy is. So they write an answer that concurs with the the state of mind that the questioner has come to the question in. So of course he marks that as the accepted answer. And I've seen this a few times where the accepted answer will be you know, minus ten or something because everyone else, the the rest of the crowd, is with you, and they'll boost your answer kick the other one down, but no, because the guy wants to be told that he was right to start with, that'll get the accepted answer. Um, so yeah, that, that's slightly annoying. I've had another bit where the system has been sort of working against me. Um, it happened just, just now, where there'll be two answers, yours and someone else's, or you know, mine and someone else's, because I suspect this doesn't happen to other people quite as much. Yeah, I like both your answers, and yours is a bit better. But I'll accept the other one because you've got a lot more rep than the other guy. And to be honest, it's hard to get annoyed about that um, because that really is just just a tick, just 15 points. I really don't care that much. I would care somewhat more if the other guy in question was Nick Craver or Darren Dimitrov or you know, someone else who I feel is hot on my heels. But yeah, it's it's something that can get you mindly peeved. I'd say actually the you haven't quite hit the real dark side of Stack Overflow which is when you get to a question that you care about so much and you get into an argument with someone that you can't sleep properly because you posted this answer just before you went to bed and you just want to know whether whether the guys come around to your way of thinking or something like that. When it starts interfering with anything else in your life, so I mentioned sleep, but, you know, if... I won't come to dinner quite on time uh, because I've got a Stack Overflow answer that I just want to finish. Um, or if I forget to get off the train at the right time, which I hasten to add hasn't actually happened due to Stack Overflow, or some other way in which it could actually interfere with your life. At that point, I think that's really the dark side. And that's really you competing with sense, sanity. Um, so I, yeah, everyone's got to be on the lookout for that to some extent, because there's no no doubt that Stack Overflow is somewhat addictive. Yeah, well, you know, Aaron actually said uh, pretty much the same thing about his obsession. I don't necessarily like the person I become if I play too much poker. You know, it's interesting that Aaron seems to have found his off switch. Um, you know, his ability to reflect on the level of competition he reached and say, you know, enough is enough. Right, whereas John, on the other hand, seems to have the ability to stay a perfect English gentleman. Yep, that he is. But, you know, there's still some missing pieces for me. Um, I actually called John back uh, to ask him some more questions, specifically what he said about finding a bug in the compiler that, that really just fired him up. That was his favorite thing. So I asked him, what, what is it about that? 
that is so enticing to you. So imagine you're watching a chess game between two master chess players and you spotted mate in three, but the game went on for 10 moves, 20 moves, whatever. Can you imagine the buzz that would give you? Here are world-class people and you got there first. You found a mistake they've made. Well, it's a bit like that with me if I find a bug in the C-sharp compiler because the amount of respect I have for these guys is insane. The, the C-sharp compiler is brilliant. I have no idea what it's like internally. It may be hideous code, I don't know. But it works fast, it gives good error messages, the language is well designed so that normally if something goes wrong you know why it's wrong. The specification is very, very well written. There are hairy bits, certainly, but it's very, very well written. So just on the occasions where I can effectively find a flaw in the work of a master, that's what particularly drives me. Um, it's it's almost being cheeky. You know, I'll send a mail to Eric and Mad saying, hey guys, I think this may be... Uh, you know, I usually word it in a fairly, um, not fawning way, but let's assume that I've just read the spec wrong because that's quite possible, but maybe it's a bug. Being able to write a, an email like that and eventually find out, and occasionally um, even the language designers go, oh, yeah, that should... Hmm. Should it work? Uh, mm, it's a tricky one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it should, and it doesn't. Hey, nice spot. And, oh, it's just beautiful. Beautiful. I'm John Skeet. I work for Google. I'm in the Android market team. Very proud to do so. But I don't speak for Google. I don't speak on behalf of Google. So anything I say in this podcast or any other time you hear me, unless I've got something round my neck saying I'm speaking for Google, I'm really not. It's just me. Do you speak for C Sharp? <laughs> You know, I would have loved to have met John Skeet before he was John Skeet, like when he was just getting started. Like, was he always this competitive or was he always this affable? You have to think of the kid in the Darth Vader commercial. Did you see that Super Bowl? Did you see that commercial, the kid, the Darth Vader outfit? Right, right. It's, it's difficult to deal with because he's Darth Vader, but he's also like a four-year-old cute little kid. Right. I, I imagine John Skeet running around the house trying to use the force on just about everything in there, use his brain to move things. <laughs> Well, speaking of just getting started in your career, Sarah J. Chips brings us the next story from a student of hers, Danielle Banks, who is essentially attacking her new career as if it's a competition, lining up all the pieces, taking all the classes she needs, including entering a 24-hour competition where she has to build out the most violent robot that she can. Um, I am a part of a lot of the Startup Digest email listeners, and so every Monday I get all my little emails, 
and it actually like makes my whole Monday morning. But um, so I read all of those, and they talked about it. They had, it was on their list of things for the week. It was this hat club, and there was a puzzle, and it was mysterious, and I was like, this is so awesome. And robots, I was just like floored. It was interesting because like that was a big part of their cell. Like you know, it's not going to be like all the others, and I was just so happy to play with the robots. I didn't even care. The robots was kind of what drew my attention. And then the days before it, I started to wonder. I was like, wait a minute, what is this now? Like, I started to Google, you know, Mindstorm. I'm like, okay, what do you have to know? And, you know, kids build this, so I should be okay, right? But I think the more media I saw around it, just in my little world, blogosphere, um, the more I started hoping that it wasn't more complicated than I thought. You know, my friends were like, don't worry, kids build this. I'm like, okay, kids can do it, I can do it. I'm not so apprehensive about being in an all-male environment. I think I knew that going into software development. Yeah. And in general, I'm kind of cool with guys, you know? So I don't remember being like, you know, standoffish about it. Um, They said it wasn't gonna be like a regular robot contest, but I thought, I thought that's exactly what it was. I don't know what they usually are, but in my g general understanding of these things, two robots fight and whoever wins, you know, loses, you know? So. I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I think that's what I thought it was going to be anyway. And I got there. I met up with my friends. And, you know, we kind of waited around to get the overall goal of the thing. And we were pretty anxious. I feel like everybody was really anxious. Like, let's go, let's go. Come on. Like, you know, it's going to be a 24-hour thing. We need to hurry up and, you know, get moving. So, um, because neither me or Alexis had ever done it before, you know, we kind of cracked open the box. Like, you know, look through the directions. And... You know, we were trying to decide, we, we had like four different design ideas before we decided, you know. We were like, well, why don't we just make something really light, because then no matter what, we'll win. Or we should just make something that like, I don't know, we had, I can't remember all the different ideas we had, but in the end we decided to go with the prototype that was in there. And I remember feeling kind of whack about it, you know, like, everybody's going to do something so creative, we're kind of just following this. But I think as we made it, we decided we were going to like tweak it a little bit. It wasn't going to be, you know, the standard. Um, but because, you know, in the very beginning we said to each other, this is just about having fun. Not going to let the guys, you know, intimidate us and stress us out. We're just going to, you know, we just want, we came here to play with robots. That's what we're going to do, you know? So, um, you know, we kind of started it that way. As we started to build, you know, we definitely had to decide on the game plan and the overall design and I think everybody had the shovel idea, you know, of scooping and flipping, you know, was definitely gonna be the best idea. A lot of people did that. Right, so you mean like a shovel on the front? On of the front, yeah, that could pick up the other robot, you know? Um, I think in the end we decided, you know, our, our game plan was anything it touches, ram it. Right. So have that sensor and keep feeling out, feeling out, and then if you feel something, ram it and don't stop until it's you don't feel it anymore, you know? And that was simple, you know, the design was simple and we got really far with that. Like yeah. I was genuinely surprised how many other robots we beat with that simple design. These guys were out there drilling and they all kinds of monstrosities of robots. <laughs> And our simple design was like knocking people off left and right. I mean, I was so proud. Um, I said, okay, so we made it to the quarterfinals. I, I, we made it pretty far. What, what do you think was the most fun about that night? I was so like, it was like one o'clock in the morning. 
We had built it. We had done us all we were going to do with it. We but checked it over and over. We took a little nap and woke up. And then once the competition started, we were like, ripped. You know, we like, let's do it. Because we had all these ideas like loops within loops and, and if statements and, you know, all these kinds of things. But when you actually would start the thing, it did move. And you were just like, everything seems so right. You know, it was a lot of experimentation. I felt pretty cool. I was telling my girlfriend that, you know, that was the first time people laughed at my jokes. <laughs> I'm like, it was like, you know, such a geeky atmosphere. I felt so homey. Right. What is your game plan uh, as far as learning more about development and getting more involved? What is, what is your mission? Um, I think I have two kind of paths and I'm open to either. Ideally, I feel like I want help. I feel like I can be someone's minion if they would just let me, you know, yeah. like I right now I need a lot more hands on experience. I need to work on something like and help to build something like from the beginning to the end. I don't necessarily have any ideas, um, but I'm a hard worker, you know, yeah. so I definitely want to um, if anybody needs help, you know, I, I want to find that opportunity. Um, so I'm just meeting people, meeting as many people as I can, telling as many people my story so that they'll know, you know, there's this girl out there I heard who will help you if you want it for free on weekends and nights, you know, whatever you need, you know? And so that's kind of my game plan, path number one. Um, path two is to keep learning myself, to keep, I, and they're kind of the same, you know? Um, read, keep on reading, keep on trying new things. You know, when I came across Wills for Zombies, I was just so excited because I'm like, these are the kinds of things I need to be knowing about, you know? People are making things exactly like what I need. And that keeps me hopeful, you know? Right. That I won't have to sit there and stare at this book and, you know, look at screenshots forever. There, there are other ways to learn. People know this and they're making things for people like me. And so, you know, I keep going. I just. I'm on like chapter six of my little Python book, you know, so chapter seven's next, you know, and I just, that's what I do. And I just keep on reading, keep my ear to the ground. Just because you graduate and you have a degree or just because you succeed in a couple of projects doesn't mean you're necessarily entitled to a job. There's so many young people these days that feel that, you know, I just got out of school. Where's my $100,000 a year job? I really like Danielle's attitude. She's treating this as a game. You're the other robot. She's got her rules down. She's studying them. She's about to ante in and get serious. Amen to that. It's really good to see someone working that hard to crack into this industry. So what do you say we bring this home? Absolutely. I mean, what I got out of this is uh, competition and drive are different things. I mean, when you're driven, you're headed in a direction and you're really competing against yourself. Competition is much more, much more crisp. You're competing against others. But ultimately, if you have the hunger, you should feed it. It's natural and appropriate to compete as long as you like who you are during the competition. Okay, what are you, what are you inflicting on me now? Seriously, what is it? Is this Yaz? Oh, come on. Is this another Lady Gaga and Yaz? I'm still recovering from the last one. It gave me pneumonia. <laughs>
again a big thank you to the folks at Code Rush for Visual Studio for helping support this developer's life. Code Rush has the fastest rename, the fastest find all references, fastest test runner. When it comes to creating, modifying, and refactoring code, nothing's faster than Code Rush. It's been on my ultimate power tools list since forever. Get Code Rush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash Code Rush. We appreciate their support. We'd also like to thank Glenn and the gang over at Sublime SVN. Go check them out, sublimesvn.com. If you use Subversion, they've got the web-based management tool that you've been looking for. They're awesome. They're supporting us. Many, many thanks to them. This has been Episode 13 of This Developer's Life. My name is Rob Connery. For Scott Hanselman, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>